0: The following podcast contains explicit language.
1: Happy New Year! What's up, everybody? I'm Aisha Harris, and welcome back to Represent. I hope everyone had a restful and or fun holiday, had the chance to step back and spend some time with loved ones, and catch up on things they might have missed in the hustle and bustle of the rest of the year. Movies, shows, books, articles, whatever makes you happy. We're actually going to kick off our first episode of the year by looking at the ways in which some of the major events of 2017 are now trickling into 2018. Hopefully for the better, we shall see. First up, earlier this week, the New York Times announced Time's Up, a very ambitious initiative for fighting sexual misconduct, driven by hundreds of women in the entertainment industry. It includes, among other things, a legal defense fund backed by donations to help the quote unquote less privileged women, particularly in the service industries, protect themselves against sexual misconduct and legalization of penalties for companies that fail to act upon persistent harassment and hide behind non-disclosure agreements for victims. Some of the most prominent figures behind the movement include Shonda Rhimes, Reese Witherspoon and Eva Longoria. And in the letter of solidarity that accompanied the announcement, it notes that the movement was partially influenced by the National Farmworker Women's Alliance, who sent their own open letter of solidarity to the women in Hollywood not long after the Weinstein allegations first broke. So this is a very bold initiative, and obviously we couldn't ignore it. So joining me today to discuss it is Monica Castillo, who is a film writer for The New York Times. Welcome to the show, Monica. Thank you
2: for having me. Yeah, it's
1: great to have you on. Um, So... I just want to kind of dig right into this. We've talked about, you know, this whole Weinstein thing on our show a couple months back, really only just a week or two after all of it broke. So by then, it wasn't even... It was all mostly just focused on Weinstein. We hadn't seen this this kind of rush of all these people who have fallen since Weinstein, whether it was Louis C.K. Um, or people in uh, powerful men in other industries, uh, including uh, Batali and in the chef chef industry, the restaurant industry, and elsewhere. And so now we have this moment at the end of twenty seventeen where there's a lot of talk there are a lot of open letters there are a lot of op-eds written by women in Hollywood especially and time magazine uh, had made their person of the year actually all the people who have spoken out about sexual harassment uh, uh within the workplace and within their lives uh, and now we have this initiative that in many ways attempts to you know put put the put the work in as opposed to just talking about what we should be doing and how we should be doing it, there are actual steps that they're proposing to have happen. So I'm curious, uh, well, first of all, like, what do you think uh, of, what are your thoughts on this this movement and what they're trying to do here? Because um, I imagine there are some critiques, there, are, there have been some critiques of it, and so I'm curious what your thoughts are, um, having sat with this for a couple of days now since it was first announced earlier this week.
2: Well, I'm certainly happy that it's happening. Um, it gives me hope that maybe more things will happen, but it's definitely just a start. It doesn't encompass all the many needs that come when this sort of situation happens. Um, I would have loved to have seen you know, maybe more resources for the women who go through this, uh, whether it be healthcare services or potential job placement, uh, being that if they lose their job because of um, their boss fired them over a sexual harassment problem um, saying assuming that their boss is the one who does this um, then they would lose their health insurance they would not be able to get therapy and if they need any you know um, mental or physical checkup that they couldn't follow up with that um, I would love love to have seen more investment in the sort of leadership training or career building that would have put more women in positions of power and um, it's, it's not just enough to say that you're going to hire a bunch of people. You actually have to you know map out how you're going to ha- hire all of these people. Um, and then I kind of have a little bit of question about the whole wearing black on the red carpet. Um, <sighs> it's not exactly a symbol like uh, the AIDS red ribbon. It's, it's not something that guys really participate in because most of them are already wearing black. And I, I don't know, that kind of undermines what they're trying to do with all this other serious activism, um, there's different ways that they could have raised awareness and also included men in the conversation because they play a very important part in this as well. Right. The success will ride on whether or not we can get everyone to um, sign in on this.
1: Yeah. I mean, so... One of my colleagues, Christina Catarucci, who has been on the show a couple times, she, she she wrote a piece in response to that and sort of outlined some of the points that you made. And I kind of, I actually agree with her to some extent. Um, to the point about the Golden Globes, what you mentioned about wearing all black on the red carpet, that's related to the Golden Globe ceremony, which is happening uh, this Sunday as of this recording on January 7th. And the, the intention that was announced actually uh, last month, I believe, was for all the women going to in a show of solidarity for everything that's been happening within the industry and with women at large um, is to wear all black. Uh, And I, I don't know, I, I also felt that way about it when it was first announced where I thought, you know, wearing all black, first of all, it seems very sort of like a funeral in a way, and I mean, unless we're talking about maybe a funeral for all these terrible men, uh, right? And th- that's what we're honoring. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I and and I also agree with the, the point that it doesn't include Ben. And this initiative, while in the Times announcement, they. You know, they stated that a lot of there are men who have uh, financially supported this this movement. One of them was J.J. J. Abrams, who has uh, contributed money um, to this cause. It still doesn't it still seems to put a lot of the onus on women. Mm-hmm. They do have this eight point sort of list of things. Uh, titled What You Can Do that is on their website uh, on Time's Up. And, you know, one of them, the first one is don't be part of the problem. For starters, don't harass anyone, which is great in the scheme of things. um, But I do think that we're we're kind of beyond that conversation. Like we we know you shouldn't be harassing anyone. Don't be terrible. Yeah, don't be terrible, Like we should be beyond that. It's the same way I feel about when we talk about let's have a conversation about race. I'm like, we're past the point of having a conversation about race. We should be outlining the steps. Right. So I I completely agree with you that this doesn't do a good job of outlining the steps for what could be done.
2: I mean, it's a it, the thing is it's a start, it's a beginning. If they include to build this program out, this initiative out, that would be, you know, much more helpful and probably would actually make a much bigger change than just, you know, one or two things that are actionable. Right.
1: I do wonder, though, to your point about, you know, it's one thing to just hire women, but it's another thing to sort of put out a plan for that. I mean, the women involved... The, some of the most high-profile women who are involved with this um, and who were mentioned in the Times article, whether it's Shonda Rhimes or the attorney Nina Shaw uh, or Eva Longoria, they've all actually, on their own, they've done, I think, a lot of their part to do better about um, starting companies. Even someone like Ava DuVernay, who is oh, yes. starting these companies that are very good at promoting women of color, um, women, the queer community, all of those communities. Um, so I do wonder like, if that—I think— I. I don't necessarily fought them for that just because I think that it is important that they are looking outside of their industry here, which I think is to me is the biggest step that they're taking is the acknowledgement that women in service industries are not being represented uh, as much in the media as, as they should be.
2: Correct. And there's also like you mentioned earlier, the onus is always on women to bring other women into the room. And my goodness, if we keep waiting for that, you know, it's going to be generations before we actually see parody, let alone 2020. Yeah. So there needs to... It needs to be an actual industry-wide change. Like studios are the ones, you know, who are holding the biggest purse strings and they need to have women at the table making those decisions as well as men. Right. I mean, what do you
1: think considering that this is the first step like and we have this legal defense fund that people can donate to um and already i think they've they've surpassed they've long surpassed the 13 million uh backers that they officially started with mm-hmm. um since announcing this but um i mean what do you think should be if you were if you were sort of behind the closed doors and you were involved what do you think would be the next logical step out of all those things you mentioned whether it's like how to like Putting, providing the infrastructure for getting women hired, or for protecting them from, you know, being harassed at work. What what do you think would be like the the logical next step from this?
2: I mean, this is. This is going to, like, the plan for the defense. Like, so it's already happened to you. You've already had this terrible experience. Now you have recourse rather than just, you know, burying it inside you or pretending like it never happened. Um, You can actually take action. But in terms of putting women in positions of power, in terms of, you know, caring for any kinds of emotional or physical needs after this kind of situation, uh, I think that needs to be built out. I think we... I mean, we're talking a lot about the Hollywood industry because those are the public-facing figures of this movement. And it's also, you know, what kind of kicked off this movement. But now that we're trying to invite other industries as well, we need to have more of their voices in this conversation. So I couldn't tell you any of the nurses who are trying to, you know, petition for this or any of the workers at the farms or, um, you know, chefs who are trying to bring, um, this sort of issue to the forefront in their industry. so we we definitely need to hear from them, and they need to have a say as well as what services and things do they need because th- those all of those industries have different functions and you know salaries and problems that come with it. Maybe you know, something like workers and chefs, you know, their insurance situation is not always guaranteed. Um, you know, employment is very spotty potentially. Uh, those are the kind of conversations that need to happen next. Like how, how do how do we move on from this, and how do we better that future?
1: Right. Like how do you bring them into the fold? Because I can easily see this turning into. Here are these very rich people who are just throwing money at the problem and not actually asking, like you said, what do you need? Like what how can we help you? And making sure that those people who those farm workers, those women in the hotel industry and on all those other industries are actually in the room when these decisions are being made. Because it's it's not gonna be helpful at all <laughs> if and, and there's no movement to be had if they're not involved. And it's also, you know, I don't want it to become a sort of you know, uh, patronizing sort of uh, movement in that way.
2: Yeah, it's not, we shouldn't, the people who are on that deciding committee shouldn't be the only ones making the decisions for the group as well. It needs to be a consensus if we really want to involve everyone that stands to benefit from this. Uh, I was also just thinking about, you know, retroactively, we you know, we had these sort of, quote unquote, sex scandals before. I'm thinking about Bill Cosby. I'm thinking about, you know, how people are still, you know, ignoring the whole Woody Allen thing or even Roman Polanski. Um, and they're not really paying attention to it as much as, you know, they did with Weinstein because now these were famous actresses. These weren't nobodies. That people don 't quite remember or never heard of before in their lives, these are you know star Oscar winning actresses uh people that we 've loved for years and years and years, and then now that 's when it 's kind of clicking. but I think that also needs to ex- be extended back to you know the victims of um previous uh cases as well for sure, I mean
1: even just before all of this you you had someone. She's not. She's not a nobody. Uh, but you had someone like Kesha, who right. has was very has has been very vocal for the last few years about her allegations against Dr. Luke, and people ignored that. Yeah, yeah. And you know, she even she even made sort of an album that was her f- being freed from the sort of mental anguish she went through after going to court with him and whatnot. Um, and yet, we still like it's it's sort of just like in the back burner. Um, the whole music industry, though, has not had that reckoning yet. And I'm curious to see when it happens. When and will it happen? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, my last question for you would be sort of what do you think? I mean, you're a writer, um, you're, you write about film, you're a writer of color. How has this affected you in terms of how, has it affected you at all in terms of? how you want to cover things or how you write about things or how you think about things just because, I mean, it, it's obviously our, our industry has been affected by it in, in this, in ways as well. Um, it's not as highly profiled before, just before the Weinstein right. stuff happened, there was a the stuff with um, the Almo draft or draft Yeah. 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 And so, you know, you have that sort of thing. So how has that affected you
2: if at all in, in terms of how you're covering film? Well, I'm not directly covering, you know, these sort of uh, cases or this movement is those are other reporters who are handling it. Right. But uh, it is something that for me to think about um, when approaching different movies Um, there was a conversation I had with a friend, like, do we, you know, consider neon distribution, which is a subsidiary of draft house in the same sort of light as what happened to them because they might share a management structure, but it's also something it's kind of been an experience for me talking with my colleagues about this because some of them just never had any idea that this was going on. And it's also kind of frightening that they were so oblivious to all of this, even though, you know, I haven't been in the, you know, my profession that long, but I already knew, you know, the guy who approaches you and doesn't, you know, let you go away in a party very easily or, you know, someone who stalks you, who harasses you, uh, that's that's a reality for women at every stage of the career. At one point, and it's a risk sometimes in very male-dominated industries. And even you know, talking with other women in um, journalism or even other women in uh, tech, uh, we all kind of have our own war stories to share. And that's sad, and it's also terrible that you know our good guy friends at work don't quite know what that's like or that it was even happening. Yeah. It's. I mean, it's been
1: said, but I do think the one one of the good things that come out of this is just that the conversations amongst women about their the sharing of experiences is mm-hmm. becoming more okay to do in an, in a more open way.
2: It's less taboo.
1: Yeah, it's definitely less taboo, and I think in a way for the for the women who have been through it, it's a way to help uh, cope with and and find comfort. <laughs> in a weird way yeah um, it's, it's good to that know that you're, that not, you're alone. not alone yeah
2: that's yeah it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly
1: <laughs> well thank you so much monica for joining us it was great to have you on and we'll have to have you on again
2: soon yes i would love to join and talk about and how hopefully
1: help happier <laughs> yes happier things and and where can people find you on social media
2: i'm on twitter at mcasti movies that's m-c-a-s-t-i movies awesome thanks so much thank you
1: I am thrilled to
2: announce that the winner of the Great American Baking Show is Valerie. I knew it! I knew it! I knew it!
0: It's such an honor. I feel incredible. I don't even know what to say. It just feels amazing. And I'm not one that's often at a loss of words, but...
1: Up next, we continue with our theme of powerful men who are allegedly terrible and ruin things for the women around them via a conversation with a former reality competition show contestant who recently had her dreams put on hold for this very reason. Valerie Lomas competed on the latest season of The Great American Baking Show and won, but no one was able to watch her bake her way to the top because in early December, ABC pulled it from the lineup after airing just two episodes following sexual harassment accusations against one of the celebrity hosts, Johnny Uzzini, by former employees at the restaurant he once worked at. Valerie and I talked about her love of baking, how she got involved with the show, and what it feels like to be the first Black winner in the franchise, only to have the success and opportunities typically afforded to champions suddenly cut short. Check it out. So today, joining me in the studio is Valerie Lomas. Welcome to the show, Valerie.
0: Hi, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here.
1: Yeah, so Valerie, you were a contestant on The Great American Baking Show, which is a show that we've actually talked about on Represents. Earlier last year, it's now 2018, so earlier last year in 2017, uh, we had one of our colleagues, Kristen Miser, come on and she loves Great American Baking Show and she talked about all the the great things about it. And one of the things that I picked up on having watched a little bit of your season was the fact that there's a little more diversity than I would expect to be on a cooking show and in terms of the types of... um, foods that people are creating they're often foods from like their home, their hometown or like from their culture and it's a great sort of display of inclusion and diversity that unfortunately got cut short thanks to the actions of one of the judges or the alleged actions of one of the judges of uh, Great American Baking Show and that was Johnny Uzzini. and he's a pretty prominent chef baker and he's been accused of sexual harassment as well as abuse not on the show if I If I recall correctly. Right. No one on the show has accused him of this. But in one of the restaurants he worked in Jean Georges. I think I'm pronouncing that right. I'm not French. I don't know. (laughs) But one of his New York City restaurants uh, and these allegations date back uh, to around the 2010s 2011. And so the show was unfortunately they pulled the plug after only airing two episodes as soon as these allegations came out. And you actually wound up winning, (laughs) which is great, but unfortunately we weren't able to see that. So first I would just love for you to talk a little bit about your background and how you came to be on the show and what was your experience like doing the show?
0: Sure, I'll start with my background. So um, I was born and raised in Baton Rouge, lived there all of my life. I went to college in Los Angeles, University of Southern California. And that was when I started to explore French culture. And I studied abroad in France because I was a French major. And that's kind of when I fell in love with French pastry. Mm -hmm. So, you know, even though I had grown up baking, you know, family heirloom type recipes, it wasn't anything I did seriously at all. But, um, you know, when I studied in Mm -hmm. France and I had that exposure to French cuisine and pastries, that's when, you know... I really fell in love with it. Mm. And, you know, I finished college. I went straight to law school, (laughs) as a lot of us (laughs) have done. And, um, you know, during my last year of law school, I started the blog that I have now. And, you know, it was just an outlet for me to be able to have a way to express myself creatively because within the legal world, you know, things have to be very precise, they have to follow a certain formula. And when I finished law school, um, you know, it was 2010. So the job market was, you know, we were like at the height of the recession, which really affected the legal market. So um, and I decided to not even look for a job and just go to France for a year. So, you know, and that was when, um, you know, I when I was living in France, I had a roommate and she came home one afternoon and she was an engineer But she had a book about macarons and she came home and she made macarons. And I was like, what? Like, this is crazy. And I thought, you know, she doesn't even like to cook or anything. I was like, if she can make macarons, I can make macarons. So, you know, I moved back, I moved to New York City when I finished my time in France and I decided I'm going to learn to make macarons. And that was kind of like the beginning of like me really like falling deep into this world of, trying to bake all of these things that a lot of people wouldn't normally necessarily try. So you fall in
1: love with baking. Yeah. But then, you know, how do you get from there? Like, how does... I am so out of the loop when it comes <laughs> to, like, baking reality shows or cooking reality right, shows. Right, right. Like, how did you get from there to being on Great American Baking? Right.
0: So, yeah, it's it's funny because um, I actually had a friend who was watching it last season, and... Um, Danielle. And she told me, hey, Valerie, you should totally try out for this. Because at the time, you know, I was full in the blogging world. Mm -hmm. Um, My blog is Foodie in New York. And I had also gotten on Instagram. And I was, you know, showing everyone what I was baking every day. So I guess she, you know, was like, hey, you can totally do this. Mm -hmm. So... And were you really like
1: baking every
0: day? (laughs) Or was it
1: like, what was your routine for baking?
0: You know, last... No, it was it was actually two years ago. Two years ago, I started an Instagram account. My Instagram account is Foodie in New York, just all spelled out. And I was talking to my mom and it was Christmas time. And I said, hey, I think I should bake something every day this month. I was like, I'll call it like my, the 25 days of Christmas or something. And she was like, yeah, you should do that. Mm-hmm. And then once I told my followers that I was going to do it on my blog I realized I had to actually follow through. Yeah. <laughs> so um so yes, I have baked literally every day before. Wow. But it's I don't bake every day. All of the time, mm-hmm. I go through you know cycles of like lots of baking, and then it's like I'm taking a break. Yeah, because I do work full time, so sometimes it's like, okay, I'm going to take a break, or you know, I'm going to focus on writing or something else. But yeah, so at, at that time, I I was baking every day. So you know, she said, oh, you should try out for this, and I was just like, oh yeah, okay, whatever. Like, okay, I didn't take it seriously at all. Yeah, and I just kind of forgot about it. And the day after my birthday. I think someone just found my Instagram account and they sent me an email and they said, hey, would you be interested in auditioning for the show? And I thought, you know, sure. I got the call. I had just landed in the Dominican Republic for a friend's wedding when, um, when I got the voicemail that they wanted me to audition in L.A. So I actually did not even leave the airport. I immediately bought a return plane ticket and was leaving for Los Angeles like the next day to audition. That is a sacrifice.
1: (laughs) Uh, Was your friend okay with that?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it was crazy because at the time I couldn't tell them what it was about. Uh. So I just sent an email I said, you know, I promise you I'm fine, everything's fine, but, you know, I'm here at the airport but I'm not gonna see you guys. Yeah. It's like, I'll see you guys back in New York. Mm.
1: (laughs) Aw. It worked out though. Well, to, to some extent. So, Let's talk a little bit about sort of your experience uh, during the show, because a lot of people didn't get to see, but like outside of the two episodes that right. aired, right. we didn't see the the other, there, I think there were six or seven more yeah. episodes that still had to air. It wasn't even halfway through. So what was your experience like? And especially uh, as a woman of color, you know, obviously there are plenty of women of color who bake and cook. Like, right. It's it's not... It's not out of the ordinary at all. So it's not like you're the only black blogger. Or whatever, <laughs> but within the reality competition show, I it's I imagine it's a lot smaller pool. And there was one other black woman. Yes, um, and, on your season. Yes, Antoinette. Yes, and there I remember there being a Latino man as well. Yeah, um, Hector. Hector. Yes, yes. <laughs> he his food looked really delicious. Yeah. Like he he one of them had like bourbon in it, and then it was yeah. like I love bourbon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but like, what was the did you experience anything, um, I don't know, were you, expe- sometimes I feel like there are expectations of what you're supposed to be like when you're on TV. And this <laughs> show this show isn't, it's not a, you know, it's not a real Housewives or whatever. It's a very wholesome right. show. Right. But, like, I'm wondering if there was any sort of pressure or did you feel as though there were any expectations of, like, how you're going to cook or what kind of ingredients you were going to use?
0: Yeah, no, I mean, that's a great question. Um, so, I mean, with this show, we had, very specific challenges so there were very narrow rules that we had to follow um you know for example one of the challenges was to make a cream pie a holiday cream pie and I'm like goodness you know I want to make my bourbon pecan pie Mm -hmm. um so in a way that was challenging because you know I'm like thinking growing up we never had cream pie so I didn't even really know what cream pie was and so then what is cream pie I don't even know what cream pie is uh I'll give you an example, like a banana cream pie oh, is a type of cream right, pie. yeah right, yeah, yeah. okay,
1: yeah, I know that that is yeah,
0: right, <laughs> but um, yeah, so for me, that was challenging because of course i I wanted to be able to put you know a little bit of my culture and you know just myself into the things that I was baking because I think that's important at least for me to share that part of myself, so that was a challenge sometimes, but um. Like, fortunately, with the second episode that did air, I was able to showcase a little bit of my culture. Um, You know, we had to make a a sweet loaf and I made a king cake. So Mm -hmm. I was really glad I was able to, you know, insert that bit of my Louisiana heritage in in there. But, um, yeah, I mean, I I would say I felt the pressure kind of personally. Mm. Um, But at the same time, um, just because the challenges were so narrow in the confinement. Sometimes it was like, you know, we had a challenge where we made macarons, which I love, but it's not necessarily a part of my Louisiana culture or my African-American culture. But, um, you know, I made coffee macarons and I'm okay with
1: that. So (laughs) (laughs) that's great. Now, you were not that the Great American Bake Off has had that many seasons, but you were that you were the first black person to right, win right. Um, in the American version. I actually don't know if the British version, if there's been a black winner, there hasn't. So you were the first black winner of any of the the many incarnations of the Great British American Baking challenge right uh (laughs) wait is it baking i keep so uh, here's the deal (laughs) there's so many names i'm calling out here yeah
0: it's confusing because in britain it's called the great british bake-off but we can't use that term here because a certain company coined it so
1: Oh. We call it
0: the Great British Baking Show, the Great American Baking Show. Okay, so I did say Since it right the, the confusion. first time. Okay, yes. <laughs> great. All right.
1: So you were the first black person ever to win in any of these incarnations of the show. And so I couldn't help but feel as though to me it reminded me a little bit of the moonlight thing from earlier 2017 where it's like they won but like it was undercut by this like very unfortunate circumstance of them at first not thinking they're winning now it's not quite the same parallel like whatever um (laughs) yeah and obviously the circumstances are much different like that was a just a mix-up and this is these are serious allegations against someone in power but like it does it, it does it must hurt. I know you've talked a little bit about it in other interviews and on your blog, you wrote about how it it was painful for you to not be able to experience the joy of having your work actually be shown. Are you, how do you feel about it now? Are you still dealing with it? I mean, it's only been a few weeks since this all happened.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, we wrapped filming on September 21st. So, you know, September 21st, it was such an amazing day it was a long hard day we mm-hmm. had a very long hard challenge and you were in britain yeah like you filmed the entire thing yeah in we britain, filmed so. the entire thing in england yeah. um and you know at the end of that day it was just it felt like such a personal accomplishment to be able to kind of like conquer that challenge and win um and I was just so happy and, you know, I had to, I had to just kind of hold that in mm-hmm. thinking that, you know, I would have a chance to actually get to celebrate that moment and that it would be so meaningful. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm still, not, I'm still not sure what to do with, with these feelings and I'm definitely still, um, you know, I'm still coping with the disappointment of it and, um yeah, I mean it has it has only been a few weeks, but you know, I'm just I'm kind of still not sure what to do. Yeah. with with how I feel about everything.
1: Right. I mean, it's tough because and you've said this, you know, when you an- were able to announce it formally in a in a Facebook uh video, live video, you know, you were like I I'm torn because I'm really sad that this I wasn't able to enjoy this moment, but at the same time I, you know, it, it, I feel really bad for these women who are accusing him. And we should say that Uzzini, he's denied that, you know, he's denied these allegations of them happening. Um, it's just really a terrible situation. And to me, it says a lot about the way in which these actions, these alleged actions by all of these men, uh, impact so much more than just the the victims. Um it impacts they have far-reaching consequences and the fact that you were not able to sort of revel in that moment um i think is is really sad did you have any hopes for like what like what do <laughs> what does a contestant usually go on to do once they've won and do you feel as though you won't have that opportunity or you won't have as many opportunities as the others have
0: yeah i mean um it was already announced that I won almost, mm-hmm. I, I guess it was a week and a half ago. And, you know, I've certainly, I'm not seeing necessarily many opportunities. Um, I think I, after the first two episodes aired, more people probably have reached out to me than they have since it was announced that I won. Mm. So that just kind of tells you, um, you know, who even really saw the announcement that I won. <laughs> right, right. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, How many people saw the first couple of episodes? Well, you know, we know from the Nielsen ratings. So, um, you know, I think it was almost 4 million. And I don't think that even counted people who had DVR'd or watched later that week. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I'm not sure what opportunities are going to come my way. I know whatever happens, I'm going to have to be the one to make something happen. I'm going to have to be that catalyst. I felt like I was you know, well situated to receive opportunities, given that I already have a blog, I already have an Instagram account, so I already, you know, kind of had a platform set up. Um, so and is and is <laughs> ABC
1: like there? You can say now that you are a winner of Great like Great American Baking Show. So like right. you can at least have that on your website, right? Which is exactly. good. But I mean, I just do think it's interesting. Like I was looking because they've scrubbed the episodes from ABC.com because I tried to go there and watch them. I found other ways, uh, but <laughs> they scrubbed it, but they don't mention anything about why. So there were Facebook comments underneath the video. They're like, Where, what happened to everything? Like people, I think a lot of people still weren't aware of what happened and why it happened. And I, I don't know. It just brings into question a lot of like, at what point do you, how, how much of the past are you going to scrub in that case? I could, I guess I can understand he's a judge, so it'd be really hard to, like, it basically be impossible to just scrub him from the episodes and air them as without him. But also just it's weird that ABC is just pretending like it didn't, it didn't happen at all or is being very quiet. I don't know. Those are <laughs> astute
0: observations. I don't think you're the only one who has observed those things.
1: You're very, yes, yes. <laughs> Do you want to say more or no? I I'm, I know it's, you probably have, are bound by. I'm I deceiving. mean, I, it,
0: it's just, I, I'm kind of in a tough place because, yeah. um, you know, obviously, this this isn't really what I signed up for. <laughs> yeah. um, and you don't, you don't imagine going on a big, because I'm a lawyer and, you know, I, I love politics. I. I'm, I consider myself an advocate, um, and I never knew that like these two very separate worlds that I had created would collide. Um, so you know, I'm still like I'm still trying to figure out how to how to deal with this. Hmm. I'm not sure, and um,
1: yeah, yeah. You know, in addition to not having the chance to enjoy just being celebrated for winning, you know, what, what is the sort of economic impact? Because y- yes, you have a full-time job, but this is also <laughs> a lot of your time and I'm sure you took time off right, to, to, yeah. to shoot the show. Yeah. So like, what has that, like what you don't have, obviously you don't have to give us all your details. Like <laughs> I don't need to know your tax returns, but like what, how, how negatively or, or not negatively did it impact your, your economic, uh, Situation.
0: I mean, yeah, this was something I definitely invested in, and I told myself um, as I was going through the process with preparing to go, um, which involved, you know, practicing. And I, I mean, anyone who bakes, you know, it's it's a kind of expensive hobby, yeah, Um, especially when you're using, you know, pretty high quality ingredients, um, which you kind of need, and when you get to a certain level. Um, you know, your butter needs to have a lot of fat. So Mm -hmm. all of that, all of that stuff, you know, impacts the results. So I definitely invested. And, um, you know, I was hoping and I still am that I'll get a return on that investment. I know I'm not the only contestant who, who went, you know, out of pocket or or even borrowed money from family members. I think a lot of us did because it, it was, it was very expensive to actually practice, yeah. um, and they did they did offer you know something to offset some of our expenses. But I think most of us you know we went far and beyond that. But I told myself you know I was like if I'm gonna do this I'm gonna I'm gonna commit all the way, and um, you know I didn't want to to. Not give myself the best chance of winning by depriving myself of something i a tool or an ingredient I might have needed. And yeah, you know, I took I think probably four and a half weeks off from work. So, um, I mean, that's tough. yeah, living in New York City, having student loans that are still due, rent still due. So um, you know, it, it has been an economic investment, absolutely. Yeah.
1: What, and w- the other contestants, like, have you talked to them since this is all gone down? Because, like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're even in some ways perhaps worse positions because they can't say that they won. And yet they also can't, like, no one can see the breadth of their work either. You know, yeah. what? what have you talked about with them?
0: Everyone is kind of in a different place. But I know that, you know, I know at least a couple of the contestants were really you know financially feeling the pinch from you know having it having essentially like purchased something but you don't necessarily receive it right yeah. <laughs> so um and and that's that's like a tough pill to swallow
1: so yeah well if anything i hope that you know you're able to well what what is what is it that you want? Because exactly. <laughs> you are a lawyer, right? Um, but obviously, this is your passion. Like, what is your dream? Is it to be like to open a bakery? Is it to start your own franchise? Like, right? You know, I mean, for now, I.
0: The I mean, honestly, the main reason I went on the show is because I wanted to be able to share what I am doing with a larger audience. Um, what I what I've been doing hasn't changed. You know, I'm still blogging. I'm still taking photos and styling photos and posting them on my Instagram account, which I think I mentioned earlier is just Foodie in New York. You know, so for now, I'm still just kind of trying to raise my profile. And I'm also working on a cookbook. You know, I've been fortunate to live in a lot of different places, travel to a lot of different places. And, you know, I'm working on putting all of that in a book so that I can continue to share it with people. Um, You know, being, being on a television set, like, that was, it was like such an intense experience, but um, I actually really enjoyed it, you know, and I would love to have other television opportunities. Um, I know the winner from season one was invited to some other shows on the network to do demos and that type of stuff. So, um, you know, I'm hopeful that I can still, you know, trying to make some opportunities for myself from all of this
1: yeah final question who gets all the food that you bake <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm serious because like that's a lot of food and I no, imagine yeah. you're not you're not eating at all because that you would die <laughs> no that that's, that's a
0: great question so actually like the donuts that I made in episode two that got really high praise from Paul Hollywood yeah. he said they were some of the best donuts he ever had mm-hmm. I actually didn't even get to taste them oh. um, so who gets the goodies um Sometimes we do, (laughs) like the contestants. We would maybe get like... It was actually one of my favorite parts of being on the show. They would like set up a tray and we'd get like maybe a serving from each person. So we would get to taste everyone's stuff. But um, other than us, I think they would kind of alternate between different parts of the crew.
1: Awesome, One really... This is really my last question. Where are our cakes? Where are our cupcakes? <laughs> no, I was I was telling Vera Lynn, I actually I actually
0: made one of the winning recipes yesterday to share with you guys. huh. Yeah. Um, Wait, are they here? <laughs> you know, so I put it in my refrigerator, and I learned. Wow. Okay. <laughs> you know, I learned that uh, that that puff pastry should not be refrigerated oh because it actually yeah it got got kind of like humid in there oh no yeah it was not it wasn't good but um that's I work okay. nearby. I am going to bring you guys something, but
1: yeah, I was just kidding.
0: No, and I am like, yeah. glad you brought that up because, <laughs> um, and the reason I made them is because I am working on doing blog posts for mm-hmm. the winning recipes that people never got to see. Um, so, oh, good. You know, I can still share them with people. So, and they,
1: what was your blog again? Yeah, it's
0: Foodie in New York, just all spelled out. So, Foodie in New York dot com.
1: Great.
0: And um, yeah, I am working on sharing the different winning recipes so that you know they might never air, but at least, you know, I'll get to share them with people.
1: Sweet. Well, <laughs> we'll make sure to link to that on our show page. Awesome. And everyone should definitely check it out. And again, like, this really sucks. But at the same time, at least you can still say that you won. Right. Um, yeah, we celebrate black women on this show. So, yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Thank you, guys. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Yes, yeah, so thank you, Valerie. And stay warm. It's freaking cold outside. It's freezing. Yes. <laughs> And that's all. You'll find links to everything we discussed on our show page. Represent is produced by the lovely, amazing Faralyn Williams. Our excellent social media assistant is Marissa Martinelli. And our intro-outro music is performed by the sweet San Francisco funk soul band, Midtown Social. And one more time, Happy New Year! Thanks for rocking with us in 2017, and can't wait to keep things going. And bring you some new and exciting things in the coming year. Until next time.